Welcome, everyone. You found your way to another episode of Creation Talk. My name is Keaton Halley. Oh, good day. I'm Dr. Jonathan Safety. And today we're going to be talking about what was the shape of Noah's Ark and why does this matter? Uh, so I guess, what do you say to that, Dr. Safety? Um, well, because God gave uh, the Noah the instructions to build an ark for a purpose, and the purpose was to save his family, extended family, and all the land vertebrate animals on Earth from being drowned in a globe-covering flood. Yeah. I'd say it's pretty important. Okay. Yeah, and certainly the Bible does give the precise dimensions even. You know, God told Noah to make it three decks. Um, it was to be 300 cubits long by 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Um, so right. what does that mean for people who aren't familiar with that term cubit? Well, and nor would I expect that, but cubit, it comes from Latin word for elbow. And in fact, if mm. you get a blood draw, this is, this part's called the cubital fossa, okay? Mm. Uh, so cubit is elbow to fingertip and mine's about 19 inches. Uh, but let's say that the um, biblical one was 18 inches. Yeah, something be, like, yeah, be foot and a half on average. Yeah. And, and in ancient times, you know, like post-flood era, we know different cultures in the ancient Near East, they had different standardized lengths. of uh, Cubits actually have slightly differing lengths. Yeah. We don't know for sure which cubit it was that, that Noah would have used, the standard one or the royal Egyptian cubit, things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, probably a, a foot and a half length yeah. of a man's forearm is, is a good approximation. Well, we can be conservative and assume it's a fairly small uh, cubit, like 18 inches, but we still get the, the arc is an incredibly big vessel. Yeah. It would have been 450 feet long, if that's right, yeah. which is like a... a length of one and a half football fields. It's a pretty long boat, yeah. And also, it would be as high as a four or five-story building and wide enough to block six lanes of the American interstate system. Yeah. So it's a pretty big vessel. Yeah. So you think about a, a ship that size, you know, that, that contrasts, of course, with, um, this is something creationists point out a lot, that, you know, what you see on typical church nursery walls is kind of an overcrowded bathtub-looking Oh, you boat. want to tear your hair up when you see those things. I really do. <laughs> uh, please don't do that if you're a member of the church, because what you're doing is telling the kids the ark's a fairy story. This is ridiculous. Kids are visual. They'll see the ark's ridiculous, and they think, oh, all the other Bibles, other stories they learn, you know, the Greek myths and the Roman myths, the uh, Native American myths, or maybe the Bible's just the mm. Hebrew myths. And if you put the silly bathtub ark, uh, you're telling the Kids, the the Bible is a Hebrew myth yeah. instead of real history as it was. Yeah, and but by contrast, of course, the the dimensions that the Bible gives would uh, allow for there to be all you know tons of room to house all the animals that Noah had to bring on board, mm-hmm. um, two of each kind of land dwelling, air breathing animal, and then it would also mean that the ark was um, tremendously stable yeah. in rough seas. Well, yeah, the the, uh, the size uh, I've calculated is about the size of three hundred and forty semi trailers. Mm. So that's how how many the volume you're speaking. Yeah, that's of the there, volume. Right? Yeah. So and each of those can hold um, you know, hundreds of uh, animal, big animals, and yet you could fit three hundred plus of these on the ark. It's a big vessel. Yeah, and then you think about how long it was, which means it'll align in the uh, wave directions rather than being turned mm. all over. Right. The yeah. length to width ratio is six to one. So that's mm. really about the same dimensions as modern day cargo ships and things, which they do it that way because that's a stable size. Well, I think barges on rivers were, were done with the same mm-hmm. dimensions because yeah. they were almost impossible to capsize. Mm. And, and some Korean naval architects actually uh, calculated various possible dimensions of an ark and found that the biblical one could stand up to waves three mm. times bigger than a tsunami. They couldn't couldn't be capsized. Yeah. That's pretty stable, pretty right. good. Yeah, and people can actually read that paper on our website, uh, an older paper, but yeah, the the, the one it's, by the Korean naval architects. Look at the links below. That's one of them, okay? Well, what about the biblical ark compared to or contrasted with maybe the um, other ancient Near Eastern 
text. Um, Because, of course, we have these flood legends from other cultures that Mm. are very, very ancient. You know, we find these cuneiform documents um, in the Middle East. The Babylonians, the Sumerians had these flood legends that sound very similar. It's obviously that there was a common origin of, of this story. Um, mm. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, there are differences, right? Well, I mean, it's interesting to find a flood and ark accounts are all over the world. It's quite interesting. Yeah. You find even in the native uh, Amazonian tribes have a flood legend. The New Zealand Maoris have a flood. Mm. Aboriginal Australians have flood legends. So I think it looks at every uh, people group on earth was mm. a standard from someone who survived a, a, a real life flood. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, why would these yeah, accounts be so widespread? And And it's not pure coincidence because they – Many of these stories have some of the similar features about the flood hero sending birds out after the mm-hmm. flood, sacrificing to God or the gods in, in the polytheistic examples. Clearly, there's some kind of common origin for, for these accounts. And we've also got these um, several articles on our website about this particular flood tablet that was found. It's one from the Babylonian culture. This, uh, it's about a size of a cell phone. Um, this mm. written in, in cuneiform script. And... Um, this document tells the story of the flood. It's actually an early fragment of the Atrahasis epic. Mm-hmm. What's significant about it is it's dated to about 1750 BC. So mm-hmm. it, extremely ancient. You know, this mm-hmm. this flood account goes way back in history. And I don't know if you ever re- thought of this, John. It just struck me as I was preparing for this podcast that that date would be something like the time of Joseph, the patriarch mm-hmm. Joseph, which would actually even predate Moses. Yeah, and so even, you know, mm-hmm. conservatives who believe that Moses was the author of Genesis, we still believe that he could have used prior sources. We do, yes. And so uh, I'm not saying he used that particular account, you know, the, the guy, Ir- Irving Finkel, this Assyriologist at the British Museum, he believes that this is the original flood story. And he actually claims that, according to this account, the, the ark was shaped like a circular shape, a coracle, basically. And he says, so, you know, the Genesis account was written much later in the time of the, the Babylonian exile, the Hebrews borrowed from the Babylonians and just changed the shape. Which doesn't make sense because if you want to legendize something, you make it simpler. I mean, mm. the ark, the Bible has three dimensions, which we now know are dimensions of a very seaworthy vessel. But the Israelites were not known as great sea, seafarers, mm. yeah. and yet they had this amazingly seaworthy vessel. And then you look at this thing here, um, the Finkel thing's either a, a, a Q, uh, sorry, a circle or a square. Now, a circle or square has only one dimension to remember, you know, uh, yeah. either the radius or the sides of the square. And so it, they've lost one of the dimensions already. So I think that's a case of going downhill from the original, which, um, of course, predated Moses, and Moses got the original, uh, which yeah. was what we know as Genesis. And in many other ways, the Genesis account seems much more like it's giving us sober history. You know, the order that the birds are sent out in makes perfect sense, whereas like mm-hmm. in the an- another one of these accounts, the Gilgamesh Most epic, famous one, yes. Um, mm-hmm. There the arc is shaped like a cube, <laughs> so it's even dropped to one of the other dimensions and made them mm-hmm. all three sides equal. And then it has the birds get sent out in an order that, that doesn't even make logical sense. Well, I mean, a cube is going to capsize because it's just too top heavy, uh, while the arc was very, very uh, much wider than it was tall, so extremely hard to capsize. Mm. A cube is a ridiculous shape for a boat. I mean, uh, but neither the Israelites nor the Babylonians were great seafarers, but yeah. the Israelites got it right. Yeah. The Babylonians got it totally um, uh, stuffed up. Exactly. So it seems to me that the it, it makes much more sense to say that the Genesis account or whatever you know documents that it was relying on the eyewitness records originally that preserves the uh, the true history. Whereas these you know the Atrahasis epic, the Gilgamesh epic, they're the ones that got distorted over time and simplified in legend 
you know, mm. turned it into a, a fictitious legend. I, mean, I think either neither the Babylonians nor the Israelites were great ornithologists, and yet uh, when you look at the biblical account, send the raven out. That's a carrion feeder. That's mm-hmm. going to find something. A dove is not going to like carrion, so you send that later, but it's only going to um, stay put when, it's not, when there's a clean, dry land because doves like clean, dry spaces. Ravens are pretty uh, not really particular about things yeah. like that. So Precisely. everything about it makes sense of the biblical account being a reality and not a legend. Excellent. Well, uh, before we move, we move on, if people are enjoying this content, help us to spread this information around. We've got lots more information. If you want to find out more, check the show notes and just visit creation.com. You can search. Uh, there's a helpful search engine, 40 years of creation research available at your fingertips. Uh, and one more thing, there's also, um, we've got a web store with a lot of great books and videos mm. on Noah's flood and the ark. Um, this book in particular, I'd recommend if you're interested in the ark and how the biblical account makes perfect sense as real history by John Woodmerappy. It's called Noah's Ark, a feasibility study. So this will answer many of the questions you've had, many you never even thought to ask. Yeah. How many animals were on the ark? What kinds? How did you feed them? How did you get rid of waste products? As well as how do they repopulate the earth after the flood? What do they eat after the flood? Uh, what about genetic inbreeding? All those things are answered in chapter of this book. He doesn't leave a stone unturned. Mm, very good. Well, John, let's get into a little bit more depth about, you know, the Bible gives us the broad outlines of the shape of the ark, but was the ark overall kind of a, a more boxy shape or um, something more boat-like? Well, we've got a picture here, haven't we? <laughs> okay, I mean, so like I said, I think the word tabar seems to indicate a fairly boxy shape in my view, and also it seems like it did have a roof and it had a window sort of uh, one cubit high all the way along, and you can see that sort of structure in modern factories. You have a sort of long window on the roof, and that seems to be very good for getting the air fresh. It allows for, for easy circulation of the air, which is something you'd need, but also would protect the contents from the enormous rain that was falling. Yeah, it is interesting that Genesis doesn't use the word for for ship. You know, mm. uh, it calls it an ark, which um, etymologically that that word seems to be related to an Egyptian word that means something like a chest or a mm-hmm. sarcophagus, something like that. That may be an indication that it's a more boxy shape. The the same word in Hebrew is also used of the um, the basket that Moses was put in, mm. um, it, which was woven out of you know like papyrus, you know, and so we don't know for sure what shape that that would have taken. But have they have a, things in common. What they have in common is they're only there to protect the inhabitants. They're not there yeah. to, to, to be steered. They're there to float and protect what's inside mm. until uh, there either, either runs aground like in the mountains of Ararat or the Pharaoh's daughter picks the Ark, uh, Moses' Ark, but it wasn't designed to steer anywhere. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That, and that may be the very reason why that the word ship wasn't used, um, because God seems to just have sovereignly controlled where the Ark landed. Um, you know, Genesis 8-4 talks about the Ark just came to rest in mm-hmm. the mountains of Ararat. Um, oh, and the whole account of Genesis sort of uh, centers on uh, the, this big chiastic structure centers on God remembered Noah, mm-hmm. which means God began again to act on Noah's behalf. doesn't mean he forgot Noah. It just means that he began to act again on his behalf. And that's uh, the ark was stable. Yeah. It landed on the uh, mountains of Ararat. Uh, and by the way, the mountains are a very good place to have rapid speciation happening, which is what we see in the world mm-hmm. too. Mountainous regions are very good for rapid variation. That's good. And just in case, just to spell this out for the audience, in case you didn't catch um, what Dr. Sarfati just referred to as the, the chiastic structure of the flood account, that's the, the narrative as a whole starts off with a, a certain line. And then the very end of the flood account has a parallel line and it's a nested structure, like working its way inward to the center. And the, the hinge point of the narrative is that that phrase that God remembered Noah. So yeah, it does 
seem to indicate that this is one author behind mm. the entire account and that it's focused on kind of emphasizing that God's remembering of Noah is is the main point. You can read, listen to both of us. We're on the uh, series called the Genesis Academy, so you can mm. listen to both of us on that if you'd like to. Yeah. And that's one of the things discussed. And get a lot more good information about that as well in your um, your commentary book, the Genesis Account. I read, I read that once, yeah. Mm. <laughs> What about this claim that skeptics often claim that uh, it's not possible to, to build a boat to the size that the Bible describes the ark uh, to make it out of wood? You know, they say ships actually made of wood didn't get to be so enormous until we were able to make them out of metal because, you know, just the twisting effects of, of wind and waves on a wooden boat would end up causing leaks and, and the ark couldn't have survived for that year. Which would be news to those um, ancient uh, mariners who actually did make ships uh, as, about mm-hmm. as big as the ark. We know that from ancient history, Greeks and the Chinese did. But also the problem is the 19th century, you had masts, which of course mm-hmm. provide a huge um, tor- torsha, torque uh, moment arm for wind to catch and capsize. Mm-hmm. The Ark didn't have a mast. That's a big. That's yeah. often the weakness of these ancient ships. Is is the mast was a big uh, weakness, and also yeah. holes or the, the rows of oars. Yeah, 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 exactly. It wasn't like a scaled up Victorian ship. You know, <laughs> Noah's Ark was again just sort of like we said, this enclosure to help all the animals and people to survive. And fairly plain, though, no portholes, which are a source of weakness, uh, structural yeah. weakness. Uh, yeah, and also we know from ancient history that they they could use methods to to strengthen, like cross planking, like plywood today is mm-hmm, cross planking, mm-hmm, but yeah. on, a, on a very thin scale. So you got the grain this way, the grain this way, so every direction is is strengthened. Or as you have what's called a mortis mortis and tenon joint, where you have a, a projection and a little hole where the projection goes into. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stonehenge actually has that sort of mm-hmm. uh, those yeah. joints as well. Uh, so and these, these are, are not like a sophisticated technology. They're just not typically used on other wooden boats, like from the Victorian area, be- because they're labor intensive, right? But very much Noah so. had lots of time to build the ark, it seems, and so um, why, you know, wouldn't he, he have used something that um, strengthened the hull and so forth? Well, that makes a little more sense that he'd do that, especially yeah. knew, when he knew it had to last for a whole year. And the Bible also says that he. Uh, the ark was coated in pitch, both on the mm-hmm. inside and outside. That would help in waterproofing. Uh, and even to strengthen it uh, to some degree as well. Well, it's easy. Pitch, uh, they did a, a show on Mythbusters showing that mm. if you pitch uh, both sides of something, uh, uh, it actually makes it much more impact resistance mm. and actually absorbs a lot of impact. So that mm. would be one thing. Uh, of course, waterproofing. And they used to make pitch for most of, of naval history by boiling pine resin and charcoal. You didn't need petroleum to do that. You just boiled pine resin and charcoal. That's what the pitch-making industries of Europe did for hundreds of years. Yeah, good, because that's another skeptical objection that people often raise that, um, well, you you creationists say that um, all the, you know, petroleum in the ground, that was a consequence of, of things being buried by the floodwaters. So how can Noah have used pitch prior to the flood? Well, there were entire industries that that made that pitch without using petroleum from the ground. There were other sources. Um, um, so, yeah, so it's not uh, really a challenge against the flood. And we have a good article about that on our website as well. Yeah, that was written even before I joined uh, CMI, and that's saying something. So, <laughs> so the skeptics really need to keep up, at least not get uh, 25 years behind us as yeah. they usually are. So, Very good. All right, well, why don't we just summarize um, what we've covered today? Um, we've talked about how the Genesis account of, of the Ark and the Flood um, is reasonable. It's, it's really the most um, sober account compared to other Flood legends or, that we find around the world, and so it makes sense that um, the flood really did occur. Noah was able to fit the animals on board the ark. Um, it's reasonable to have mm. a, a wooden boat that size. 
the Genesis account is not contrary to reason. Uh, no. Real science actually helps to confirm our faith in the scriptures. So. If you're a Christian watching this, you should know that Jesus himself affirmed the flood, the ark, and Noah as real history. Mm. So if you follow him, you should believe the flood is real history as well, and the ark. Well, that's a great note to end on, Jono. So um, thanks everyone for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Mm.